Hello, and a warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Bernard Oyundo. He is the managing partner of Citadel Advocates and is also the current president of the East Africa Law Society. Bernard has previously served as legal counsel at the Privatization Unit, Ministry of Finance, Planning and Economic Development, a legal expert at the Public-Private Partnerships Unit, and as a board member of Uganda Railways Corporation. Bernard advises governments and development finance institutions on infrastructure projects in Africa. Bernard holds a Master's of Laws with distinctions in Petroleum Law and Policy, an LLM, from the University of Dundee, and is also an alumnus of the Harvard Kennedy School Executive Programme. He is passionate about education as being the most vital tool for empowering and equipping the next generation of young people and leaders. Bernard, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Thomas. I'm excited about this and looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Well, Bernard, let's let's dive right into some questions. Now, look, th- through that brief biography I just provided and your work as a mentor as part of the Beacon Scholarship Programme and your support for recent initiatives focusing on the junior end of the profession, your passion for driving change through education and early engagement is clear. So what lessons have we still not learned as a profession? when it comes to encouraging, supporting, and realizing talent, which it seems so abundant in our law schools across Africa, but is so often dramatically and quickly snuffed out as they enter practice. What are we doing wrong? How can we fix this? Thank you again, Thomas. And uh, this is a very important question. And in answering it, I will focus on three key issues that I believe we need to continue to do more if we're going to realize and retain talent. Tom, first is the importance of of mentorship, which is compounded by the increasing number of law students across the region. And here, I want to give an example of the East Africa Law Society, which has a membership of about 19,000 members with over 70% of its members as young lawyers. How possibly are we going to mentor all these young lawyers when we have only about 20% who can mentor? How do we provide an effective mentorship program that can lead to transformation given these numbers? Where should this mentorship start from? These are the challenges and perhaps explains why I have chosen to participate as a Beacon Mentorship Scholar for law students, because my belief is that we need to constantly focus on the law school as well as the young lawyers in our region. As East Africa Law Society, we are working together with our member national bars, which include the Law Society of Kenya, the Tanganyika Law Society, the Burundi Bar Association, the Rwanda Bar Association and the South Sudan Bar Association to try and use technology to reach our 70% membership. Every first day, every first Thursday of the month, we have introduced a young lawyers mentorship series in which we host leading lawyers in the region 
to speak to our young lawyers on different key topics and the issues facing them. Our hope is that this continuous conversation will influence and impact on how they practice and grow in the, pro in the profession, given the numbers. So every Thursday, Thomas, for two hours, we are speaking to young lawyers. Second, Tom, I believe the other area that we need to focus on is the importance of building the capacity of our young lawyers in the new emerging areas, which are a reflection of the African economy. International trade, project finance, arbitration, construction, financial services, technology, media and telecoms, oil and gas, and mining are some of them. We need to enhance our capacities if we are going to participate meaningfully in these deals. And our junior members of the bar must be encouraged and supported to do so. Here, Tom, I'll give an example of myself and share an experience. About 10 years ago, over ten, about over 10 years ago, I made a decision to focus on project finance and oil and gas because I believe that the only way I can compete is by specializing. And today I have no regrets. The firm for which I work for, Citadel Advocates, has advised on a number of project finance transactions, not just within East Africa, but also Zambia and Malawi. We therefore must do more to enhance the capacity of our junior lawyers so that they can harness these opportunities. As East Africa Law Society, we are deliberately taking steps to contribute to capacity development. Most recently, we have partnered with Tralac, a trade and policy training institute based in Johannesburg, to train our members in international trade law so they can harness the opportunities within the ESC and the recently signed African Free Continental Trade Area. We are going to partner with more institutions to deliver specialized trainings in these emerging areas. And, and it's at this point that I thank institutions like the African Legal Support Facility that have set up an online academy focusing on these key emerging areas to help build the capacity of African lawyers. I want to encourage all those listening to visit their web portal and be able to learn from the materials and resources that are being shared on that platform. Third, Tom, the other critical issue we need to actually focus on is how to create the right initiative structure for this talent that is agile and impatient. This is a key challenge, and I'll just highlight one example. The normal progress in our law firms is from the ranks of legal assistant to associate to senior associate, to principal associate, and finally partner. This can take anywhere between eight to 13 years. Millennials do not have this patience. We need to develop a system that strikes a balance between the need to acquire experience and the need to fast track our highly talented millennials coming through the system. In my view, it is time we focused on these three critical issues so that we can retain and improve the capacity of our young lawyers. Thank you, Tom. 
Oh, thank you, Bird. I think very insightful stuff there and great to hear some of the organizations that we're also working and involved with. Mm -hmm. Um, The ALSF, I'm sure Stephen, the CEO, will be happy to hear. And Mm -hmm. Tralac in particular Mm -hmm. have been very helpful in some of our work with Weber Wenzel when it comes to our Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement Insight Series. Mm -hmm. Now, just to circle back on something there, when we talk about capacity building, Mm -hmm. it's very often placed at the point of of, of um, accessing the profession. Mm. Is this too late? Do we actually need to start looking at the university and the LLB programs as adapting and changing to suit the modern competencies required of lawyers? I see it happening in some places, but certainly not at the uh, the strength, the breadth, or the depth that's required. So, that a quick question to you is: Are we doing enough at the point of of university, that initial degree, rather than trying to load everything into a post qualification access to the profession stage? Tom, I think you're spot on. We need to start from the university, and I think what we need to do is to review the curriculums. Uh, that are currently at the university level and try and support them to have the the emerging areas also on their curriculum. For instance, if I take just a sample of the universities in Uganda and in Kenya and probably the East African region, I, I, I would not easily find a project finance module Um, as one of the course units. And yet, as we increasingly start to focus on infrastructure, start to focus on oil and gas, start to focus on mining, project finance becomes extremely relevant in terms of how these projects will be financed. Now, and, 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 and that's where we need to focus. Personally, Tom, I took up a role with the Beacon Mentorship Program. because of the belief that if we started at university level, we would have more impact in terms of mentoring our junior lawyers. And so, as I have stated, it's important for us to have a conversation with our academic universities to enable us see how the curriculum can be adapted to suit the modern emerging areas of the law so that we don't have to download all these materials and resources once they just come out of law school. Thank you, Tom. Fantastic hearing. Good to have a practical example of what what can be done as well. Let's move on and talk about the East Africa Law Society in a bit more detail. Now, as the current president, are you seeing the potential for driving real change through the organization or are systemic hurdles still causing headaches when it comes to realizing meaningful impact through an organization as large and geographically diverse as the EALS? You know, in my experience, there's a lot of good goodwill and good intention when it comes to organizations of this size, but it's through its very size that introduces complexities and, and systemic hurdles when it comes to actually making the impacts that we're so vigorously committed to. So what, what's the lay of the land at the moment, Bernard? Excellent question, Tom. I think given the size of our membership, which is about 
19,000 members. There, there is, of course, challenges um, associated with finding ways of how you can try and ensure membership participation and engagement. But just before I go any further to, ask, to answer your question, the East Africa Law Society is the regional bar association, uh, which is comprised of about seven bar associations, which include the Law Society of Kenya, Uganda Law Society, Tanganyika Law Society, Rwanda Bar Association, Burundi Bar Association, Zanzibar Bar Association, and the South Sudan Bar Association. We were created to promote the rule of law and good governance within the region, support the integration of the East African community, and build the legal profession in East Africa. From where I sit, Tom, I see the challenges and the opportunities. I want to focus on three key trends that present opportunities. Um, first is the increasing regionalization. And here I want to speak to the recently concluded African continental trade area, the strides that we see are being taken by, this, by the East African community, including the trip, the tripartite discussions that present a number of opportunities for us as African lawyers. The current negotiations and the opportunities that they present in terms of assisting first with trade negotiations and resolving disputes around trade need to be harnessed. We certainly are not going to sit back and wait. And in a bid to build the capacity of our members, as I had earlier mentioned, we are partnering with Tralac to provide courses on international trade law so that our members can enhance their capacity and participate in the current discussions. Secondly, Tom, is the increasing globalization of legal practice, which brings opportunities in a number of sectors. These opportunities require us to partner and work together with a number of global firms within the region. And we're encouraging our members to participate in these discussions, which include most recently uh, the UK Africa Legal Services Spring Conferences, which I see you have partnered with the UK government. Tom, these partnerships are vital. And our hope is that these partnerships will create mutually beneficial relationships. Partnerships where there is equitable allocation of fees commensurate with the efforts of each partner and where there is transfer of skills from, from the UK law firms to African law firms. We no longer aspire to answer a set of due diligence questions set to us as local counsel. We want to actively participate and have a seat at the table as you negotiate with our mutual clients. We want to see skills transferred as we do these deals where there is no capacity. This will certainly contribute to the growth of the legal industry in Africa. Thirdly, Tom, is our importance as East Africa Law Society in promoting the rule of law and good governance within the region. Rule of law is important for investor confidence and ultimately for the business of law. It is therefore in our interest as East Africa Law Society to promote the rule of law. Our country risk profile is partly influenced by how well we are doing on rule of law and ultimately impacts on the cost of 
the projects in Africa. So we see this as a critical role for us and we shall be supporting our national bars in speaking out where there are rule of law violations. Thank you, Bernard. And, and, and I'm, I must say, I have been very impressed with the work because it's one thing to be a, uh, a legal association or a bar association directly interacting and managing with the membership, like, you know, some of those composite members that you mentioned, but then managing those organizations themselves in a group you know it takes some doing i think it's very very necessary because we know that borders are becoming less and less important mm. in africa mm. so it's regional exercises and regional commitments and pooling of resource of talent of ideas of innovation that will actually drive us forward so it's very very uh, worthwhile and very necessary but i can empathize with just how tricky that can be be at times keeping keeping everyone on the on the same track um, when it comes to shepherding, for want of a better word, these organizations that in their own right are quite large and somewhat cumbersome, do you have any tips? What are, what are you bringing to the table that you feel has allowed you to bring these organizations to the table and to work in a collegiate and forward-thinking way? Yeah. Tom, so what we've done is um, we've done... A couple of things. One of which is to com is 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 to constitute what we call committees of specialization. Now, what we are doing to ensure that we have engagement from all the bar societies is to ensure that these committees of specialization are represented by members from the different bar societies. For instance, we're going to have a committee on mining. And the committee on mining will be composed of members from all the seven different bar associations. That committee should be able to network, build, assist, assist all the members on the committee to build networks. Uh, it should also be able to get us working together and should also be able to get us speaking to the policy issues that affect our specializations. So one of the things we are critically doing is setting up those committees, which we believe will deal with, with the challenges of trying to find a way of getting us together and working together. The other is we are now using technology a lot. And at East Africa Law Society, we have a number of webinars every month. And during those webinars, we are hosting panels of lawyers from different countries within the region. So you have Uganda, you have Tanzania, you have Kenya, you have Burundi, South Sudan, and we are seeing an increasing number of people attending the webinars. We're also seeing people building networks, and we are seeing more involvement from the member bar associations. Those are the two critical issues we are, we are using to try and deal with that challenge. It's good to hear, and you have all of my best wishes for making sure that those are successful and, and do nothing but grow. Now, Bernard, we've talked a lot about your involvement with institutions and organisations. I want to have a little bit of a personal chat. Let's talk about some of your previous experiences um, individually. Now, you have a pretty unique and vast experience working as a government legal advisor before transitioning to private enterprise and private practice. 
So how much of a learning curve was it to move from your governmental roles to building your own legal practice? Give us the pros, and if there were any, give us the cons. Thank you, Tom. Um, I think it was an interesting um, transition. I mean, you're moving from one client, that is government, you then move into the private sector, where you expected to one look for the clientele two build relationship with the clientele three maintain them uh, that that is not easy as i later realized you it takes a lot of time you have to i, I will share with your personal story there is a client uh, that i was chasing and i had to chase them for almost one year you know consistently speaking to them until finally when i was able to get the work so 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 there's been a lot of bernard you you don't have to worry about that story you're talking to a commercial uh, a chief commercial officer at a at a high growth organization mm. when it comes to chasing mm. tenacity and duration of chasing no flies on me <laughs> I'm in exactly I'm in exactly the same boat so you're definitely you're definitely in good company um it, yeah. it's surprisingly funny how much mm. more effort needs to go into uh building or creating a relationship when there are potential invoices involved um is is the way that I look at it but but <laughs> do go on the, the the year is absolutely understandable from where I'm sitting yeah yeah so you 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 can imagine and you had to you had to keep you had to keep going uh, at a certain point i i wanted to ask for office space at the place where i was looking because i had to go there practically every morning maybe three times a week check on them say hello how are you what is doing how can we help you you know and that sort of conversation so so so, so it's, it's an interesting uh, lesson the other interesting lesson is really um, managing a team and trying to get your first clients I remember starting out in a, in an office um, where we're just basically three, four people. Now we're about 18. To build and retain that team, uh, issues that you learn on the job. And, um, and it relates to some of the conversation we've had, Tom, in the earlier point of retaining talent in our African law firms. So, so it has been a steep learning curve, uh, but I'm happy with where we are now. And um, the the mix, the advantage that you get from having been in the public sector is that you understand how government works. And there are four clients have, who are seeking um, contracts from government have always approached us because of that unique expertise that we have. Uh, having spent a lot of time in government, I understand how governments work and that has been our unique and key selling point. So Tom, I've we've learned over the time. Yeah, and it's a great, um, uh, unique selling point to mm. have. Actually, you know, when it comes to legislation and working with governments, what it says and how it works mm. are often miles apart mm. and it takes that advisor mm -hmm. who can go beyond the letter of the law mm. beyond pure legal advice mm. and you become more of a facilitator mm. you're doing so much more than just telling them what's legal what's illegal because the gray area is the majority it is a desert of gray in many situations and it takes the right guy to get you through this desert rather than uh you know 
you know, just charging through in a straight line. So it's definitely a good USP to have. Mm. And um, I think what you've said there about growing as an organization is something that will relate with many of the high growth law firms across the continent. Mm. Going from a sole practitioner to your first hire Mm. is one of the most exciting but one of the most filled with trepidation that there is because we know how important relationships are and you've got this this intrinsic uh, belief and, and 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 focus on that you've been building these relationships and it's you that have managed them so to bring in another third party to that relationship and trust them and empower them to build those relationships that you started it's a very difficult thing i don't think it gets enough credit and i think solving that problem of 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 empowerment and delegation is actually fundamental to the point that we touched upon earlier about avoiding this pyramid scheme mm. this 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 uh, legal associate to to you know trainee legal associate mm. associate mm. senior associate mm. that's just not going to fly mm. and one of the key reasons that i feel like that is still so hard to deal with is the inability to delegate and inability to trust from the senior end of the the firm to the lower end of the firm. And I think the more that we can respect the capabilities of our younger colleagues, the sooner we'll actually find more success because they are more capable and more ready than they get credit for. And it just takes that leap of faith to know that they're ready to start having them more involved in those relationship building exercises sooner rather than later. Um, So very much resonates with my own thinking. And uh, Bernard, a, a quick closing question here, and it's one that I often ask on these podcasts, is if you could somehow give advice to yourself mm. at the very start of your career, what would this advice be and why? I, I think, Tom, when I look back about 12 years ago, joining legal practice, I think the one thing that I underestimated is the potential or the relevance of building social networks. I think over time, as we have run the farm, the work that we get has been from uh, from social networks. So earlier on in my career, I think I should have been able to join Rotary or join any other social club uh, to sort of start to build those social networks, which eventually um, get you business to do because a lot of the time people have to give you business when they trust you and that trust takes a long time to build so you can you can only build it in those social networks the other key issue really that that i have learned over the time is to try and start to think of myself as a trusted business advisor to the client and not just a legal advisor. So I've come to appreciate the importance of learning the industry just before you provide advice, legal advice, on the key points that the client is asking you to provide. For instance, if you have a coffee client and he comes to you for legal advice, do you actually understand how coffee gets from the farm to the cup do you understand the global supply chain of coffee? Now, when you understand those key dynamics, the client is able to trust you wholly. So 
over time, I, I, I'm, I'm spending my time understanding um, the industry, understanding my client well. And these are the things I think I should have started from, from the word go. And, and, and for me, these have been very important learning points. And um, now that we even like to talk about trade, understanding the economics of trade is very important for you to be an international trade lawyer. So, so these are important lessons that I have learned over time and, 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 and would have advised myself at that point. Thank you, Thomas. A lovely answer there, Bernard. I, I, I didn't know whether you were going to start with the advice of the social um, uh, channels being more social media and saying your advice would have been join Twitter mm. early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was definitely a bit more than that. And you know what they say, your, uh, your network is your net worth. Well, yeah. And that is certainly something that I agree with. Mm. Well, Bernard, listen, that does bring us to time. And it has been a very, very enjoyable Uh, time indeed Um, so thank you very much for joining us thank you for hosting me Tom and I look forward to more conversations to help us build the legal profession in Africa absolutely I think we have opened some doors so stay tuned and as always a very big thank you to all of our listeners now if you are new to the Africa Legal podcast be sure to peruse our entire back catalogue which is available on all major podcast channels including SoundCloud Spotify and Apple Podcasts and as always don't forget to visit us at africalegal.com for the news views and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal practitioner so without further ado this This has been Tom Pearson signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast.